Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 19 of the Attack in the Championship podcast. I'm Tom Butterfield. I'm your host. And let me welcome our resident guest, our certified data analyst. He's a scout, an FA licensed coach, and also an intermediary, David Bromley. How are you, mate? I'm doing all right, Tom. Thanks. Yeah, you? Good stuff. Yeah, I'm doing good. Happy New Year to you. Thanks. Thanks very much. Same to you. So um, what did the new year bring for you then? Um, wind. We, well, actually, it didn't bring a hangover. To no, be good. No, good. My New Year's Eves have become less and less of a, of an entity in the last few years. I've got I'm to so say. Pleased to hear you say that because oh, yeah? to me, New Year's Eve is a nothing. It's just an. It is a. It should be another day. Yeah. It? It's just another day. It's just that the years ticked over. You shouldn't treat it any differently. I don't think you should still be going about and doing your stuff. It's um yeah, I'd be quite happily in bed at, at 10, 10 30. Well, I'm surprised that you say that. I thought you were gonna say because of where you are, mm-hmm. up well up north, yeah, Scotland. I thought you were gonna go, oh no, no, it's the it's everything up here, you know. We do we well, have a it, massive shield. It is for everyone else. <laughs> is it? <laughs> I think it's and it's great yeah. because in our in our little town they've like this fantastic fireball ceremony where people go down and they're, they're swinging these fireballs around their heads and all that sort of thing. Uh, really? So in around sort of groups of kids and adults and all sorts of stuff. It's fantastic. Mm. It's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I go to it every now and again, but to yeah. be honest with you, it's the crowds, it's the cold. It, it was a bit rainy, bit windy and all that sort of thing. So yeah, it's horrendous this year. Yeah. I just want to stay indoors. Yeah. But, well, it's uh, the, it's, it's the aftermath. This yeah. makes us sound like real old, miserable, <laughs> you know, I've so got and so. on now. So. But it, it is, it's the after, you think to yourself, well, when it's all done, I've got to get home. You know, I'm yeah. going to be feeling a bit rough probably, mm-hmm. you know, because for one reason or another, and then I've got to get back home. And it's, and like you say, it was the, weather, the weather was awful this year. So I was rather pleased to be tucked up in in the warm but so yeah no it wasn't a, it wasn't anything really much and it hasn't been for a few years so uh, right. well i think it was tonic water and scrabble for me this year wow, so wow. yeah perfect, pretty, mate. pretty rolling stones rock and roll sounds perfect to me <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah good good stuff, good stuff. Yeah. so episode 19 david they're rattling mm. by they are you've got an interesting subject for us today so i'm going to hand over to Hopefully, you yeah. and you can talk us through it Okay. Well, we've been talking, haven't we, for a while about the game changer score, this mm-hmm. this metric that we've produced as a combination of other metrics. And we do it for players and we do it for teams. So we basically, if you haven't listened or you haven't heard us talk about it before, what we basically do is we went back over, before we started the pod, we went back over the last five seasons before this season and tried to establish the metrics that were the closest um, or the most closely correlated with the finishing position of the teams. Because we wanted to know, look, what, how is it that teams manage to get out of this division upwards? And we, we worked out, we've, we calculated that the way you do it really is to have a potent attacking force. And that's the most reliable way of getting out of this division Mm -hmm. so with that we then started looking at all the different metrics we could get hold of attacking metrics 
And then we looked at those individually to see which ones of those were most closely correlated with the teams that did well. So which were the best indicators that as a team, you're going to be finishing higher up the league? And we picked on those and then we created our own measurement from those and we called it the game changer score and we apply it to players and we apply it to teams. And really what it's doing is saying, look, based on the way that previous seasons have gone, um, which players and which teams are managing to produce output that is most likely to bring success to the team and, and obviously from the player to the team. So we've done this and we thought we've had 26 games, is it now? I think 26, I believe. So it's probably with 20 games to go, it's not a bad time to dip back into the team game changer scores because we've been looking at player game changer scores and building our list of the most sort of influential attacking players and looking at that. And we th- we thought, look, let's have another look at the team game, game changer scores. And it would be interesting to build a, a league table from the game changer scores instead of from points. So it's hmm. a kind of alternative league table. Okay. And, you know, we can start sort of looking at that. And one of the things that, um, I mean, if we did look at that, we one of the things you notice is that going back over the last, this season and the previous five back to 2018-19 is the correlation between the game changer score and the finishing position is over 80% on average. Right. So okay. it's, it's as high or it's Pretty higher strong. than almost everything else, anything yeah. else you can pick on. Um, and it is strong and we can look at that in a bit. Um, and, you know, this this season is a funny one. I mean, actually, we could look at it now. Actually, if you, if you want, Tom, we could just whiz yeah, and whiz through, and yeah, we've got good. this. Um, we got this material where I think you'll put it up on in the notes or something. We hear this. That's right. Yep. Do you want me to share this with you? I know you've yeah, got yeah. details, but on, if, if you're on, watching along on YouTube, you can. Um, you know, you can have a look at what we're looking at, and if you're not, we'll try and make it a as meaningful as we can just from a an audio point of That's view. It. Those those who aren't watching, it's the number next to the red number you want to be looking at. Are, are we sh- we're not sharing the screen yet, are we? Yeah, <laughs> no, yes. that's right. It is, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> People will be driving and going, what's he on about? <laughs> right. Here we go. Tell me when you got it. Fantastic. You're up there now, mate. Right. Okay. So this is what I was going to talk about. So what we've got here is we've got six league tables on the screen. Mm-hmm. First one is 2018-19 in the top left-hand corner. And then yeah. working across the screen, we've got each of the final league tables up to the current league table in the bottom right-hand corner, which obviously is sort of just a bit over halfway through. Mm-hmm. But these league tables are organised in order of game-changer score so they're reflecting the most, the strongest attacking output is the top of the league and working its way down. So, I mean, going back to 2018-19, you've got Norwich City, Leeds, Aston Villa in the top three spaces. Yeah. And then Stoke, which Bolton in the bottom. I did notice something, actually. Rotherham, this season, at 58%, their game-changer score is the lowest of all the game-changers, actually, apart from Bolton. 
in 2018 19. It's, well, it's, it's the close, lowest, isn't it? pretty close 58%. So that is pretty unproductive for a, for an attacking output. And just in case you want to know, 2021 22, Fulham were the most productive at 171%. So, what, the, what these are doing, season, they? they did absolutely, yeah. What we're trying to do here, they're kind of all relative to each other. So all these mm-hmm. scores are just kind of, they're all averaged out. So, you know, if you're 100%, then you're the average for gotcha. the division. So anything above that and you're better than average, anything below you're not, you're, you're lower than average. But, okay. I mean, it's all quite, when you look at it, you know, it, it seems to be telling a story, doesn't it? Um Absolutely. And what you what you've got, if you are looking at this, what we've coloured each team's um, their actual position, or rather their game changer score position minus the mm-hmm. actual position. So if you're if you're say you know I pick a team Middlesbrough this season, mm-hmm. yep. then your game changer score position is ninth. Your yep. actual position is twelfth. Gotcha. So your three places. In actual fact, you're three places below where you, if you like, you, you should be in terms of the amount of attacking you've been doing. Yeah. So, in other words, the the what what we're trying to move towards is looking at underperformers and overperformers, teams that have done have achieved a higher position than the game changer score suggests. We would say were overperformers. And teams where they're actually lower in the in the actual league table to our game changer league table will be underperformers. And we've coloured them so you can sort of see what easily who's doing what. It's interesting, um, isn't it? Because the the first sort of three positions in the league, so the top three game changer scores are almost always teams who are in the top four. Yeah. Certainly in, in the playoffs. I think the only one that's different was in 2020, 21. You had Blackburn, whose actual position was 15th, but they had the third highest game changer score. But apart from that, everybody is in you know that top six, aren't they? So it just yeah. shows the importance of, of having that high game changer score if you do want to get out of the division in the right direction. Yeah, it's quite reliable, Tom, isn't it? Yeah. Really? Yeah, it's you know. interesting. We're we're going to be looking at some, you know, we're actually on the hunt for anomalies, aren't we? We're because mm. because they're going to be the most interesting things to to consider, I suppose, at the moment. Yeah. And actually, there's there, this season, and I think this might be related to the fact that it's not a full season, you know, because the, the mm-hmm. sample size is 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 a bit more than fifty percent of the other seasons. I think the longer it goes on, the more it settles down. Yeah. So we've got a few bigger anomalies at the moment than we were, than we've had in previous seasons, like Plymouth and Blackburn, which are two clubs we're going to be looking at in a bit more depth in a minute. Um, who are twelve and ten places in reality below where you might think they would be given their attacking output. Gotcha. No, which is actually. I think more than just about any other season. Well, yeah. as you say, Blackburn in 2021 ended up um, 12 places below where their attacking output put them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not very common. I mean, we've had a couple. Yeah. I did notice also whizzing through this, if you're a Preston fan, you might like to know that you nearly always outperform your game-changer score sort of prediction. 
not the first season, the 2018-19, but I think just about <laughs> every other season, if you're looking for the greens, which are the ones, the teams yeah. that are doing better in actuality than, mm-hmm. you know, the numbers would suggest they might, has to nearly always appear on it. You know, this season, there are eight places, uh, sorry, six places above. They're, they should, they're 14th, but in reality, according to the Game Changer scores, it should be 20th. Okay. And you can work your way back seven places different last year. Yeah, they're always two the year before. Bottom yeah. half attacking output, aren't they? Yeah. So they're they're a team that seem to well, we'll talk about why we think, maybe, mm. what yeah. we think this might mean. I mean, I think it's not obvious, is it, why this is. I mean, I don't think you can say always, yeah, that's the reason for it. Mm-hmm. I think you, you've got to look under the hood as as you as we say a bit more yeah. but because I, I think we'd we'd sort of jump to the conclusion and just say oh well they've obviously got a better defense than average but mm. that's just an opinion isn't it that's not actually me knowing that right. that's the result behind it we we don't know that at all so it'll no. be interesting to dig into that and see what we find yeah well it will be and i think some of it's probably subjective which is you know, and and I think if you're a fan of a team, you know, if you watch a team week in and week out, you you do and you you reflect on what you're seeing, you do kind of learn things, don't you, about your team? Sure, that are not obvious even to people who who try and study these things. <laughs> they're still not obvious to them because we we got 24 teams to think about. Yeah. And if you're going watching your team play every week, you you pick it up. After a few weeks, you know, you sort of understand really what's going well, what's not going well. But, um, yeah, so the first thing to say about these is they're quite robust. The correlation is nearly always 80%, not always, but nearly always. And this year, not quite 75%. But, again, I think it's going to become more robust as as the season wears on. Um, So, yeah, there's something in these numbers, undoubtedly. Definitely. Um, and yeah, you could go back and look at your team and say, well, where do we figure? Um, and I, I haven't done that for all the teams, so I'm not sure, but just the one that jumped out to me was Preston. So that's the, that's the sort of, I suppose, you know, the, the raw material. And then what I thought we'd do is pick the top two over performers and the top two underperformers, well, in the other order, pick the yeah. top two underperformers. And just have a look and see, you know, what we think they're doing, um, why it might be. And, you know, again, it, it's just, it's our opinion. But mm-hmm. so I'm, we're, I'm moving to another screen here where we've picked out Plymouth and Blackburn as being the yep. two teams that, as I've mentioned before, 12 and 10 places below where you might expect them to be. Yeah, and that, so they would be the sort of underperformers, and then West Brom and Bristol City, the opposite. West Brom are eight places above where you might think they'd be, and Bristol City are also eight places above. Mm-hmm. And there are some other teams that have done, you know, poorly or well in that respect. So you've also got teams like, um, you know, Cardiff and Preston who've sort of mm-hmm. outperformed. Yeah for their actual position. They've outperformed their attacking output. And then you've got teams like Watford and Birmingham that are sort of a bit under the weather, five places yeah. below. Um, 
but yeah, you could start off looking at Plymouth. You know, Plymouth. Uh, we talked a bit about them, Tom, haven't we? Yeah, they're a good like, team to I watch. Like they're, yeah, they're, they are. They they're really interesting. Are a good team to watch. They're good value, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I, I like Whitaker. I like um, uh, Finnazaz as well. Yeah, um, good, good they've players. done really well. They've got yeah, good. good they've, they've got players that have individually done really well. I mean, their mm. home form's been fantastic. Mm. They've scored thirty-three goals in thirteen games at home. That's ridiculous. Against it? ten away. Wow. You know, so that just shows you, it's, you know, it's all about the home form. I think we all yeah. thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Really, but you know, thirty-three goals scored, but twenty-two conceded at home. Hmm. And I just mentioned a team that also are a high, sort of high attacking team in Watford, um, who haven't really hit the straps. I mean, they're tenth, but they should be fifth hmm. according to the game changer score. Well, they played each other, didn't they, at the weekend? Right. And it was three yeah. all. <laughs> yeah. So it was. Sort of, it was what you'd have expected, I suppose. Three to half time, wouldn't it? You sort of yeah. seven five or <laughs> so. Nothing much changed there, is it? No. In that, in that regard, both teams attacking teams. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I mean, Plymouth. Again, we've talked about expectations, haven't we? In the beginning of the season, I don't think the expectations were hugely optimistic across the board of bookies and. I think that, that generally their expectation was that they'd finish 23rd, which is a bit surprising. I thought they'd, I felt like they'd do a bit better than that, but the expectation was 23rd. So, what we've done is, as we've talked about before, we've pulled apart their attack, some of the attacking metrics, and said, let's have a look and see where they finished in the league table of, for example, shots on target or expected goals or goals. Shots on target, second in the league. Wow. Goals, fifth in the league. Mm. And there they are down in, what is it? What position? 18th place. 18th place. And yet they've scored scored more goals than, only four teams have scored more goals than them. Wow. Um, So they've done, from an attacking point of view on the face of it, you look at it and think, well, they've done their job. (laughs) So Yeah. Oh, for sure. No, absolutely. And, And that's, that's the thing is that you, you sort of look at it. You mentioned about the, the bookies not having a lot of faith in them because they actually won League One, didn't they? Yeah. They got the, the championship and, and yet there was so much optimism regarding Ipswich and, and mm. rightly so, obviously, because they, they've been fantastic. Yeah. But, um, but it, it is interesting to see that Ipswich were, were expected to be top six and, yeah. and uh, Plymouth were one of the favourites for relegation. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm not quite sure really where that came from, mm. um, but that's true. Yeah, so um, unfortunately at the moment, if you're a Plymouth fan, things are sort of turning out not as badly as that, but, mm. you know, they are in at the, mo- at the moment sort of the relegation places or not the places, but, you know, the scrap for relegation. Yes, yeah. Well, I tell you what, you'd definitely buy a ticket for a home game though, wouldn't you? Of course you would. <laughs> you would. Yeah, you wouldn't be travelling. But then if you live in Plymouth, you probably don't want to travel. <laughs> right, I mean, their yeah. average travelling distance must be... Oh, it must be horrendous. Uh, yeah, and compare you've... it with somewhere like Birmingham or something. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're just be... sort of zipping around yeah. loads of clubs, aren't you? But yeah, if you've got away games up to Sunderland and Middlesbrough and... <laughs> 
those oh. sorts of places that's uh especially in the winter if you've got those that's a long way that's a real long way <laughs> i mean it's a whole it's a it's definitely a whole day isn't it oh for sure and some yeah for sure i mean that must be for me to for me to get down to birmingham is about seven hours really so, and i'm i'm about four hours from from middlesbrough so yeah it'd right. be a good it'd be a good eight eight nine hours yeah trip, I, I would say and then of course you've got to come through the busiest part of the country as well so yeah. And you don't want to miss it, so you're not going to go. Well, I'll leave it if I think it's going to take me eight hours. I'll leave eight hours, are you? No, no, exactly. You've got you're to leave, going to leave ten or more. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, well, fair play to to I the might fans. Just watch it on telly. If... <laughs> <laughs> you you you're being you'd be tempted, wouldn't you? Especially when you see they've scored ten goals away from home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll wait until in we get there. Thirteen place. games. Yeah. <laughs> But that anyway. So that on the face of it, you can see, yeah, they've they've been really good attacking wise, particularly at home. Um, their style has been what fairly direct, really. Mm-hmm. Um, quite attacking. You can see, you know, from the we talk about this style radar chart, and we talk about you want to be north east, don't you? Yes. Yeah, which is where all the the sort of high flying teams tend to be possession and attacking. Yeah. So when you look at it, you've got possession at twelve o'clock, you've got attacking at three o'clock, and pressing at sort of five o'clock. You want to be on that right hand side of the radar, yeah. and you want to yeah. be really quite high up if you can. Mm. Um, it's but, an interesting shape, isn't it? Because they're it is, yeah. They're sort of they're as much west as they are east. And they are, which is um, direct. Yeah, nine yeah. o'clock is direct. So yeah, that's right. Yeah, direct, they're, they're very direct. direct. Attacking, yeah, very little pressing at all. Yeah, they're, they're sort of, which I suppose is going to is going to fall into your, your counter attacking, isn't it? If you're, if you're yeah. pulling teams onto you. Yeah, um, I used to play for a team actually in uh, over in the states, and we we were in one of the lower leagues in in the US. And we played uh, the Minnesota Thunder, who were the reigning uh, A-League champions, so the USL championships champions, so the league below the MLS. Mm. And um, and our coach said, look, you know, they're they're really good ball players. If we give them space, then they're just going to pop it around us all the time. So we just defended our own half. So whenever we lost possession, everyone retreated into our own half, and it was purely zonal. So. Uh, you you just marked marked a zone. All I did, my movement was uh, I was playing on the left side of midfield for this game, and my fullback just dictated which way I showed. So whether I showed inside um, meant that the the centre forward had gone uh, in towards the the centre half. So I had to try and cut that cut that ball out. Um, right. It was a really weird way of playing, but you know, just looking at this this sort of radar here shows that perhaps they're doing a not. I'm sure. That, not completely the same, but very much dropping off, you know, yeah. pushing up and trying to win it in the in the attacking third. I mean, the Americans would have been first to to try and employ that kind of thinking, wouldn't they? You know, it, it about quite, about Yeah, it felt quite a lot like a basketball type yeah. defense, really, or defense. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So- I can imagine because and they would be thinking about things in that way. 
You know, mm. it, it's a lot less, possibly partly because it's not so instinctive to Americans. I mean, we mm -hmm. we grow up playing football from, you know, five years old. Yeah. And so you do get, you do become somewhat instinctive in, in the mm. sports that you start playing really early in your life, don't you? Yeah, true. Um, so you, but if you start playing a sport, and I think they probably, well, they probably do start young now, but, you know, from, a few years ago, it was it very much more. They started playing American football and basketball and baseball, yeah. and those things would have been instinctive. But the, the, the soccer would have been more of a sort of let's study it, let's study how it's played, let's yeah. look at the roles, let's look at the zones. Let's it's interesting, it, yeah, because the the American sports are, are very. You know, I, I watch a lot of NFL as, as well, and it's very much you know this is your this is your job. You do this. Right. You, know, you you do this because the guy next to you is going to do this, and the guy next to you is going to do this. And and with a with a basketball player as well, it's very similar. It's like you you do this, and it's mm. it's very it's almost very uh, well. It is. It's very set play oriented because every yeah. play in NFL is is a set play because the ball yeah, is stopped, and then you start from from yeah. there. You know roughly where the opposition are gonna gonna line up, and then you can react to what they've given you. Yeah. Um, whereas football is inherently a much more flowing more chaotic sport so yeah it's more fluid i think we yeah. call it yeah yeah fluid <laughs> chaotic i would say probably in the, <laughs> the way i played it anyway well yeah same here but, but someone um, was yeah. telling me about the i don't know if this was you but someone was telling me about american football that the reason why um foreigners can be good but they'll never be as good mm. as the as the sort of as the homegrown players in the states is simply because they don't start early enough to learn the playbook off by heart. Do you know what I heard this from from someone recently as well? There was a an interview with a a guy. I think he was I think he was actually Scottish, and right. he, he said that that's the main thing about American football. He said you could have the most talented athlete. But if you can't learn the playbook, then you're you're finished because mm. you've got to be able to know what your job is at any one mm. time. Because otherwise, if if you don't do it, the coach isn't going to trust you because it can literally just blow up the entire play by just one person moving to the left rather than to the right. Mm. So um, if you can't learn the playbook, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. You, you'll never make it. Uh, it. Well, football's going more that way. It's not going to... It's a long way from being there, but it, it's going a bit more that way, isn't it? Where, as you, you think, say, do you think that uh, there's certain teams that are maybe more tactically, maybe they're more tactically drilled than than others, and definitely those and yeah. those teams, perhaps the players do need to be uh, is in football intelligence the right the one mm. the right way. I don't know. You know, being able yeah. to be, they must be able to be coached. And yeah, I definitely coached, think that. Then they're not going to be able to work with certain certain coaches and, and managers, are they? I do, I do think that, and I think actually that the modern day game is it's leaving behind the sort of more instinctive mm. player, really, because the coaches that are coming through, I mean, a lot of them are foreign coaches, and that's the way they've been doing it for a while. Mm. And even our sort of homegrown coaches are start are being encouraged. To take a you know to take that kind of view to take a yeah. sort of studious view of the game mm -hmm. rather than an instinctive view of the game and you do see this and yeah I, I think 
there's all sorts of things coming in because it's where everybody's trying to get an edge all the time, aren't they? And the edges are harder to find and they're more, mm. they're more marginal. So even things like, you know, getting into your body shape a fraction of a second quicker mm-hmm. can be the difference. And, you know, how, how long, I don't think it's been very long that players have been coached on that in this country. And I don't think many, I don't think there's a lot of coaches that are not coaching that. I know that for a fact. Yeah. But, Do you, know, you know, there's, there's a, there's a guy who is a good friend of mine. He is very much with that. And, and he's looking at uh, certain things that could do with um, assessing players' body shape during games, you know, real, real time, um, uh, uh, body movements and and all that sort of thing to to actually right. see where players are strong and, and where they're weak both from a if you're if they're your players and you're, and you're training those players how you can improve them or you know make mm. them better or maybe what makes them good that you can teach the other players to do yeah. but also from scouting the opposition of seeing you know where do they struggle you know yeah. what are they good at what sort of moves are they good at defending and where can we maybe find a few weaknesses as well? Mm. So it's it's really really interesting. Some fantastic uh, stuff coming out, and and it is again as we've talked about, it's using this data to give you insights into yeah. getting those edges, and and that's that's where it is, isn't it? It's, it's very technical. Down. It's only going to become more technical, Tom, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, for sure. You know, as we pick for things sure. from foreign sports like you know the american sports in particular because they've been this way mm-hmm. for a long time yeah um, and and it doesn't translate perfectly does it because of course you know we all right. we all talk about like you you mentioned earlier you know football's a fluid game other games are more discreet that the, the events are discreet so in baseball a pitch like in in cricket a ball is bowled mm-hmm. that's a discreet event once yeah. it's once it's happened the, the game stops you can you can do different things with games that have discrete events than you can with games that are fluid that don't basically stop much. Yeah, absolutely. And football and you, and football is a fluid game, so there are differences. Mm. So there are areas where you can. Where I don't think you can be quite so technical, but there are lots of areas where you can. But for yeah. sure, yeah, yeah, it would um, be interesting to see if if eventually the analysis is so fast and so detailed that all of these chaotic fluid events can be broken down into discrete events when you yeah. see you know yeah. is someone is someone stronger at, at linking certain discrete movements together to make a fluid event and, and all that sort of yeah. thing would be yeah it'd be, well, be interesting to see well we you know even you, you know it's going that way because um even though the rules of the game are not going to change to the point where the, the events become genuinely discreet so the game isn't going to keep stopping yeah but the way that you analyze the way that you um gather the data mm. is going to become more so the the granularity is going to become smaller because mm. you're going to be able to gain gather spatial data more yeah. than they're doing it now um and and also there's lots of areas where they're trying to evaluate every single thing that happens in relation to the chances of scoring a goal, mm. you know, so there's, there's, there's lots of work being done in those areas, which we're not really, I guess, particularly talking about today, but yeah, it is interesting. Yeah. It's interesting stuff. 
So I don't know quite how we got onto that, but yeah, well, we're just talking about putting the style. Yeah. So their their style is, Mm. yeah, it is. You're you're encouraging player the opposition onto. You can see that from the radar. Mm -hmm. They don't have, they don't particularly want the ball. You know, they're, Mm -hmm. they're not high possession based team. They don't press particularly high. Mm -hmm. They're attacking when they get it. Um, but they're quite direct and, you know, the counter-attack is quite a strong element of what they do. spring quickly, aren't they? Yeah. As soon as they win the ball, they're going to get forward and try and get shots in as, as quick yeah. as possible. So then, so that's that's on the face of it. So that's just kind of where Plymouth are in this in this discussion. The other team that we were, we're calling for the, for the sake of something to call them, underperformers, are Blackburn, aren't they? And we're saying they're... Um, their expectation was higher. So although they haven't done quite so, they're not ranking so high for things like shots on target um, and goals as Plymouth are, but the expectation was higher. So they're we kind of they're 10th for shots on target, they're 7th for XG, which is good, um, expected goals, and they're 9th for goals, which is, we're saying it's satisfactory because we think the bookies were thinking they were going to be about 9th. So it's sort of where they were expecting to be. If you want to look a little bit more detailed there, their dead ball passes leading to a goal is poor. You know, they've they've not done anything in that area. Um, but, you know, and so you can look at and break these down a little bit more. But um, then if you look at their playing style, and we can, I mean, it's a different shape. Again, if we look at their radar chart, they are certainly firmly... On, on the eastern side, aren't they? Which is sort yes. of one yes. of the yes. dimensions you want to be. Um, but their possession's not particularly high. They're about eighth, seventh or eighth, I think, for mm. possession. It's not bad, is it? It's it's interesting because when you've... I'm trying to sort of get my eyes moving back from Plymouth to, to Blackburn. Yeah. And you'd you say, well, Plymouth are very direct yeah. and Blackburn aren't. Plymouth are very counter-attacking and Blackburn definitely aren't. I think they're actually mm. the lowest in the league, aren't they? They are. Um, they're one of, Blackburn are one of the highest presses in the league, so yeah. in the top six. Um, and Plymouth aren't. They're 24th, I think, 23rd or 24th. Yeah. yeah. And then Plymouth very attacking, Blackburn sort of middle of the road. So they're, they're almost opposites of each other. They're very, they? not, they're not very different. Opposites, but it no. would be very interesting to to watch them, watch them play. Yeah. And uh, and see what sort of game that that brings out because what are what will how will Blackburn deal with not being not being pressed? Will they like that? You know, probably that will probably suit them. Uh, yeah. But then it will suit Plymouth for them to have the ball because that's what they want them to do. Yeah. So yeah, be that'd be quite. I might note that one in my fixtures to watch. Actually. Yeah, <laughs> well, it, it is interesting to watch a game after you've kind of looked at this stuff in there yeah you can see can i pick this out can i see and i'm watching it on the television of course is more difficult because you can't mm-hmm. you can't get the overall picture of of the of the way the teams are set up and the way that they're moving when they've got the ball against when they've haven't got yeah. the ball like you can if you're at the game yeah you can you can watch a sort of an overview can't you and see how they shuffle across that's right yeah out of possession you know, and but on the on the TV it follows the ball, so you just get what you're given, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, 
but I mean, yeah, Blackburn's um, playing style, like you say, is very, very different. And uh, I'm just looking quickly to see. They've been... Plymouth were playing a 4-3-3 attacking game just routinely until um, Schumacher left. In the last few games, they've been playing with a sort of three or a five at the back um, in the last, I think, three games. So whether that's a... Dis- whether that's a, um, you know, a, a sort of determined, deliberate, right, we're going to change the way we play, or I don't know whether it's based on maybe have they lost a player that enabled them to play a certain way, and I'm yeah. not quite sure that, of the answer to that. What did you make of the, because I don't think we've really talked about that, Schumacher moving to Stoke? Yeah. What, what Stoke is... Stoke, are, you know, they're so tempting, aren't they? Because mm. you look at it, surely you look at it as a head coach and go... They've had some good managers lately, haven't they? They have, but they're such a strong outfit. I mean, mm. the, their facilities are fantastic. They've got a good fan base. They've got good owners. They've got owners with substance who who not only want to invest, but have the wherewithal to do it. And mm. I know they've had FFP problems, which has prevented them doing some of the things probably as quickly as they would have liked. Um, but, you know, the, they're not a club that you get, you'd you think, well, yeah, they've got people who want to do things, but they they can't do them. Everything seems to be right about Stoke, hmm. really. And yet, as you say, they've had managers with good track records who haven't been able to no. get the desired Not outcome. Get them above halfway, really, have they? But I would imagine that what it what happens is we all do this a bit. Everybody thinks, yeah, but I'm different. Yes. You know, you know, th- they haven't been able to do it, but then they're not me, are they? No. Uh, and I'm not being I'm not being being provocative there to Schumacher, but you know, human beings are like that. Ambitious mm. human beings are yeah. like that. And and I it's gonna be very difficult to look at that club and go. Well, there's an opportunity at Stoke who have mm-hmm. been perennial underachievers in this division. Um, you know, it's not like you're going somewhere and you've got massive uh something massive to live up to. You've got oh, no. you've got nothing to live up to, have you? It's probably the it's probably the best time. It's to the go perfect there, isn't it? time, isn't yeah. it? Really. Yeah, because expectation is going to be relatively low, isn't it? Because you're off the back of uh, Alex Neal and is it Nathan Jones was there before? Nathan Jones, Gary Wowett didn't manage yeah. to yeah, so, so you get it done. <laughs> got good um, managers yeah. who've done well, well at places and just not done anything. So yeah, yeah, it's pr- it probably is the best time to go. It's a shame for for Plymouth because um, yeah, of you course. sort of look at that and say, well, they also seem to be a very well run club as well, just on a different yeah level. They are at, yeah. at the moment. Yeah, um, but who's to say in you know at the end of the season they're not going to be above Stoke? You wouldn't be massively surprised to see it. You wouldn't put a lot of money on against that, would you? No, no. But then, um, if you were to say which club in the next five years is going to be in the Premier League, Stoke or Plymouth, you'd probably put your money on Stoke because you'd be of tempted the things to, that you listed before. Didn't but you? you wouldn't have lost a lot of money doing that yeah. over the last five years. Yes, yeah, exactly. you'd have done it every year, wouldn't you? <laughs> you'd have said it every year. Every year you think, and every new manager you think, right, this is going to be the one. Yeah, this is. They'll take off. And and they've got everything there. They've got all the ingredients, but yeah. is is Schumacher going to be the chef that can produce the 
Michelin star meal. <laughs> Absolutely. We don't know. Was you going to turn up a couple of Big, Mac, Big Macs instead? <laughs> well, you said that, Tom. Oh, I'm not going to call. Yeah, but yeah, it's it it it's a bit hard to turn down, wouldn't it? Yeah, I I think so. I think so because you can only imagine that what you're offered to go to Stoke is quite attractive from a personal point of view as yeah. as well as a professional point of view as well. Yeah, of course. So there's there's uh so and Blackburn so we we we're, we're going to look at these a little bit more detail in a minute but basically so that's where Blackburn are they're yeah. sort of similar in the sense they're both underachieving given what they've produced attacking wise very different playing styles mm. um and then if we move on to the sort of over performers for want of a better phrase we've picked two of those the two strongest West Brom and Bristol City both of these teams are eight places in the division above where their game changer score suggests that they would be. Um, West Brom at fifth as opposed to 13th in the game changer score league table. Mm-hmm. And Bristol City are what, 11th? Yeah, 11th as opposed to 19th. Okay. And they've been rallying, haven't they, a bit? Yes. Recently. Yeah, they have. Yeah, they have. But West Brom, yeah, you could look at that and um, shots on target 20th. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's. I mean, that's bad. Mm, that is Ex- bad. Expected goals, 13th, disappointing. Mm-hmm. Goals, 12th, disappointing. So, you know, it's there weren't massive expectations because uh, of the way the club has, you know, had to deal with the sort of off-the-field difficulties and the fact they didn't do any business to speak of in the window and the business they did didn't turn out to be too great, did it? And Sarmiento no. from Brighton has just gone back and didn't play that much. Major, unfortunately, he? he's gone back, yeah. Oh, dear. That's a shame. Um, and Major didn't Did they send him back or was he recalled? Or? No, he was recalled. Oh, okay. I'm not sure if it's because they didn't feel he was playing enough and they felt he could go somewhere where he'd play more. Okay. I don't know, really. Um, it seemed like he was starting to get a bit more game time didn't he and he was yeah he was getting a bit more game time i'm not sure yeah um it's frustrating I, to watch it, at times i i must admit i wasn't I'm, i was a bit surprised that carlos corbran chose him mm-hmm. he doesn't yeah. strike me as being one that you know he would pick sure. but i mean his options were probably pretty limited yeah in all yeah. fairness so he's come from a club who are obviously a very technically accomplished mm. squad of players. So, yeah, you would imagine that, you know, that would go well for him. But um, very, very highly skilled player. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way they play at the moment is is fairly kind of, it's a kind of, you know, what do you call it? Um, it it's a kind of utility style, really. It's all yeah. about it's all about getting the points, which it, which it should be. Yeah, there's not an awful lot of frills in there, are there? No, you know, it's more it, it's more the east side of the uh, radar, but it's yeah. strange shape, isn't it? It is, and and do you know what the West Brom shape? Let's mm-hmm. let's look at this radar. Yeah. So again, 
it is a strange show. It's not very convincing in any direction, no, is it? No. And what I've noticed is over the last few weeks, it's changed probably two or three times. So what okay. we try and do is we try and pick out if there's a standout. So we've got our five playing styles, possession, attacking, pressing, counterattacking, and direct. And we use the numbers to tell us the combination of, of the way that the teams score in different mm-hmm. metrics to tell us what style they are. So every team is 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 on every one of those um continuums, but they're they're mm-hmm. somewhere on them. So yeah. every team is somewhat possession based, every team is somewhat attacking, somewhat mm-hmm. pressing, and so on. But we're we're gonna what we try to do is we try to get these um as, these assessments to tell us primarily what are they? You know, are they mainly possession? with a little bit of this, or are they mainly a counter-attacking team with a bit of that? Are they mainly direct? And most teams, you can pick it out. You can say they're mainly this or they're mainly that. With West Brom, they've been uh, counter-attacking. They've been a pressing team. I think they've been – they're not very convincingly anything, are they? Because you look no. at it and you go, well, they're sort of 10th for possession – they're about 10th for attacking. They're about 10th for pressing. Mm. And maybe they're 8th for counter-attacking. They're more, if you had to pick one out, you'd say they're probably on balance a counter-attacking team. Yeah. But they're not so heavily any one thing or another. The it only thing be... you could say is they're not a direct team. No, no, that's for sure. They're not, yeah, they're, they that's don't not play, there, is it? They don't play <laughs> it long, early. It would be interesting to... In in this case, and and probably only for West Brom because they're the only team that seems to be, you know, very unconvincing in in whatever they they are. I mean, convincing in the results they're getting, but unconvincing yeah. in being able to nail down a particular playing style for them would yeah. be to look at each individual game and look at how they played compared to the playing style of the opposition. Because I would imagine that Carlos Corbran is he seems to be very tactically aware. And very, mm. uh, very able to get those messages across to his players to be able to say, look, this is our game plan to work to the weaknesses of of the opposition. You know, I've yeah. noticed these are the things that we're going to do, um, and that's that's going to be the main game plan. So it seems to be that they they very much change with respect to the opponent rather than saying, look, this is how we play. They're just going to have to deal with us. That's a good point. Yeah, it it does suggest, doesn't it, that that mm. they take each game on, on its merits and say sure. we can be whatever you want us to be. Depends on who we're playing. Depends on maybe players we've got at our disposal. You know, because yeah. all teams go through phases where suddenly they lose two strikers and they've got to reassess how they play or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, but it does. You're right. Uh, that that's it's either that they don't really have a clear style, or it's that they they have a clear style, but only when you look and uh, sort of game by game, and then when yeah. you put it all together, they're a little bit of everything. Yeah, they're sort of pulling in different directions. Yeah, all, all so that could well be the case. It would be interesting to look at that actually. So, um, yeah, because yeah. I, I think I, I, I might have to, to yeah. have to try and go. do that. You stick you stick that on your on yeah, your. Sim, that's another <laughs> easy job. Not that you had enough to do. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, but no, it would be. You, you're right, actually. Um, because I think I remember point. when we, we looked back, going way back now, it seems a long, long time ago, when we looked at Stoke and West Brom in, in one of our earlier episodes, we went off on a little bit of a tangent and we looked at, 
because we, we noticed that West Brom's playing style was was different to everyone else's. It was kind of a not really anything. Yeah. And and um so we we talked about Carlos Corbrand's coaching style there and we looked at Huddersfield when they got promoted through the playoffs. And we actually noticed that their playing style was very similar, didn't we? Yeah. And that's where we got the suspicion maybe this is more coach led rather than the actual you know, players' ability, if if you like. Well, when they didn't get promoted through the playoffs, you mean? Oh, when they, they nearly did, they? did. That's right. Yeah, no, that's they right. didn't, did they? No, you're yeah, right, though. Right. We did. We did. We looked at them, and, and that was kind of indicative of, you know, it wasn't an accident, was it, that no, that team no, was playing right. in this style. He was playing in the, in the, in the, um, what do you call it, in the, in the sort of style of the manager. Yeah. In the image of the managers. That's the word I was seeking. Sure. So think, yeah, I I think you're probably right. I think that's that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, they should have gone up that year, shouldn't they? Well, they should have. <laughs> I think yeah. there'll be Huddersfield fans screaming, saying, "Yeah, oh, bloody gone up that year." <laughs> yeah. Well, then yeah, no, they should have had. Was it they either should was it they should have had two penalties or they should I have had it, one and they shouldn't and the other and Forest wasn't it? Yeah, it was certainly two penalties involved. Didn't, shouldn't have had one. I can't remember the details, yeah. but I remember there were two bad decisions. Yeah, or pretty convincing, depending on your, it? Depending on your point of view, they were bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, and the other, so that's West Brom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other overperforming team, Bristol City. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have, we're saying they're overperforming. Well, they are overperforming. They're, they're expected. They were expected to be sort of mid-table, weren't they? Eleventh, mm-hmm. um, but they've been pretty poor in their sort of um, attacking output. Nineteenth for shots on target, fifteenth for expected goals, seventeenth for goals, and just everything's been pretty poor generally mm. as far as their attacking output's concerned. And yet um, they're eleventh, so they're eight places above where you might have expected them to be. I think some of that would have come about as a result of recent, you know, four or five games. Yeah, that's they've, right. They've had a much better time of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, to since really since since Pearson went, yeah, you know, whatever you bounce. whatever yeah. you say about that, um, I'm not wholly convinced. It's always completely down to what the new manager suddenly did on the first no. day he arrived. You know, because no. things have a habit of being lagging, don't they? Yeah. You know, no, but sure. um, yeah. Sometimes, so. sometimes players just get a little bit comfortable, don't they? And, and maybe yeah. feel like they've got to got to prove something. But well, they lost to Millwall one nil somehow in the last game. That's but then the previous yeah. four games to that, I think they've won three and drawn one. Mm. So they've been a good run. You they? know, they beat Sunderland, they beat Hull, they beat Watford. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some good teams. So you know they've they've certainly been their recent form's been much better, isn't it? Mm. But their style, well, we've got them down as an atta- a direct style of play. Whether that's again, whether because they changed their style of play a little bit in the last couple of games, they've gone from they were well, I don't know, they've been a four-two-three-one a fair bit of time. They went to a four-four-two, where they seem to have a bit more joy. And then back to a four-two-three-one where they've drawn and lost. So I don't know. Okay, you'd have to look at that a bit more carefully to make much sense of it. But they seem to be changing the style to a bit more of an attacking style, don't they? Yeah, interesting. Um, but yeah, overall this season, 
you'd say they're primarily direct. Um, not a not a great shape from the sort of shape we know that tends to be successful. No, they're they're um, very much more over to the left of the radar than the right of the yeah, radar. Yeah, they are. So we're sort of thinking those those teams tend to end up well, certainly struggle to get out of the division the right way. Yeah, they? and they tend to. Yeah, you have to have a very a very kind of specific, mm. somewhat kind of unique style about you. Yeah. Because we've seen one or two teams manage to do well with that style, but generally speaking, it doesn't. Yeah. So I wonder, um, I wonder going back to the, the Stoke team that got promoted many moons ago, it seems like now, they were sort of very, very big sort of physical team, weren't they? It'd be interesting yeah. to see what their style of play was, whether that was, that was more of a direct... Um, well, the Tony Poulis style. Yeah. Do you think that might have been? Or well, do you think I he might have been more free-flowing football? <laughs> that was rhetorical. I'm not going to get drawn <laughs> into answering that. <laughs> yeah. I think we all know what, what that was. Yeah. I think I could draw that on the radar without any, needing any long, numbers. <laughs> no. But, you know, effective. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, sure. So they're the two overachievers and sort of underperformers. Mm -hmm. um, we could look, you know, like you said earlier, you tend to think, don't you? Well, look, if a team has a good attacking output, but a poor overall position in the league, mm -hmm. i.e. these underperformers, it's got to be related to their defence. It's got to be, well, you know, our strikers and wingers and attacking midfielders, we're doing our job, guys. Yeah. You're letting us down. Mm -hmm. You know, the defenders are letting us down. Maybe the goalkeeper and the defenders. But I don't know. I just picked out a couple of things. Credit here to FB Ref, because I thought I'd use their data here. Cool. And I, I, you know, again, this is just kind of one way of looking at it. But we're looking at the grid of defensive actions, squad defensive actions. But we're looking at the opponent stats here. So what we're looking at is the way that other teams have performed against the teams that we're going to be talking about. And I've circled. We've we've at the moment we've 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 mentioned Plymouth, Blackburn, and we've also mentioned Watford and Birmingham as all four of them being underperformers, haven't we? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we've mentioned West Brom, Bristol City, and also Cardiff and Preston as being overperformers. Mm -hmm. So. Underperformers, the teams that, you know, despite their attacking output, they still haven't done, haven't, and they're not very high in the league. Overperformers, they're higher than you'd think they would be. And I've circled these teams on this list. And we've all, I've organized them in order of, first of all, tackles made against them in their attacking third. Okay. So it's, it's slightly difficult to get your head around, first of all. So, in other words, if we look at the top one, Plymouth Argyle, mm -hmm. this is these are the number of tackles made against Plymouth when Plymouth were in the attacking third. Right. Now, when you organise the teams in order of that, it's kind of quite convincing because the, the, the underperformers are all in the top sort of, what, eight or nine. Yeah. And the, and the overperformers are all in the bottom eight or nine. <laughs> so I'd say that's not coincidental. Yeah. And it could be, but I'd say it, it probably isn't. Mm. So maybe you'd explain that by saying 
that the underperforming teams are losing the ball to tackles in their attacking third. So when they're attacking, one of the things that's happening to these underperforming teams is the, the players that are attacking are getting tackled. Because mm-hmm. these are these these are just tackles we're looking at. It's organised in in order of the team that loses the most tackles in when they're attacking. I, I hope this is sort of somewhat clear. Yeah, yeah. I know it can get it gets a bit sort of you know. So you may say to that, well, although you you might jump to the conclusion where well, it's the defence's fault, but while they're attacking, and it's looking encouraging that they're attacking a lot, they might benefit from finding ways to retain possession better during their attacking phases because when you commit to an attack as a team if you lose the ball to a tackle then suddenly you're very vulnerable aren't you absolutely especially if you're a heavily counter-attacking team and you're going to be springing very quickly throwing bodies forward like Plymouth Plymouth look like they do because and and you know if you want a little bit of a reassurance about this as I say, those four teams that we say are overperforming are all are all in in the sort of area where they've lost less than fifty tackles when they're attacking. So overperforming teams appear to make better use of relatively fewer attacks by retaining possession and exposing their defence less. This is the sort of hypothesis yeah. that you might draw. You might have a better one. You might say this is rubbish. This is nonsense. I've got a much better one. <laughs> But nope, it I seems <laughs> to me that might be sort of sensible. That, it's, it's worth looking at, isn't it? Yeah. That, you know, okay, we're breaking, you know, on on the transition. With, we're inviting the opponents onto us. Certainly if we're mm-hmm. Plymouth, we're doing that. Yeah. We're inviting the opponent onto us. We're breaking effectively because we're scoring a lot of goals. Yeah. But actually we're getting tackled a fair bit as well. Mm. And that could be, you could think, you could think to yourself, well, when you break, as an as a counter attack, you've probably outnumbered. Yes, you know because that's the nature of a counter attack, isn't it? Yeah. So when you build up with possession, you're probably much more heavily supported. Mm-hmm. So the chance that you are going to lose the ball by being tackled might be less because if you think you're under under pressure, you can always turn around and play it to a teammate because you've yeah. usually got support when you attack. When you break quickly from a transition as a counter-attack, it may well be you're on your own or you've just got one player up with you. So if you run out of road, as it were, and, and you get closed down, it's more chance that you're going to be tackled because you haven't got support there. So you're going to lose the ball a bit more in those situations. Yeah. So, I mean, this is this. I think, Tom, what this shows is it's a fluid game. You yeah. can't pick one thing out and go, ah, oh, it's that. No, that's right. Because you, you've always got to think, well, because you might look at this and go, well, why have Leeds United, why are Leeds United third in this list? Mm-hmm. If we're saying that Plymouth are underperforming because they're top of this list of losing the ball in the attacking third, well, Leeds United have lost it a lot. Yeah, but they've probably attacked a lot. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You know, so you can't, you have to be a bit, careful when you're drawing simplistic mm. conclusions but it's interesting to think about i think absolutely I mean, um, if, if you look at that if i'm if i'm reading this right in your turn about leads attacking more is that number there the 550 tackles so that's the 550 tackles against leads yeah overall overall and yeah. you compare that to the 411 
to Plymouth. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a lot, isn't it? And I, I think just scanning down 550 is is the most by quite quite a way. Yeah. Nearly 50 tackles more than yeah than anyone else. So yeah, that it shows, doesn't it, that they've had the ball a lot, been tackling a lot, and teams have been trying to win it back. Yes. You'd think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. On the face of it. Because it does seem to it does seem to be a bit unlikely when you first look at it. Mm. Think, hang on, with why why is the team that's so successful on the face of it so unsuccessful because they've been tackled so many times? Um, but I think it's as you say, well, as we've been talking about, um, they have the ball a lot, they attack a lot, mm-hmm. and the way they attack too, you know, because if you attack in a way that if you're um you could think about this, couldn't you? Tackles don't happen anything like as much as they used to. No. In football. Because I, I, I remember being amazed at first when I first started getting interested in analytics that people were talking about, yeah, well, you know, he's made two tackles per match. I mean, he's a pretty sort of solid tackler. And I think, hang on a minute, two tackles? Yeah. But you, there aren't many tackles in football. No. No. That's um, right. So it's get, a, if you get two wrong now, you're off, aren't you? Yeah, you you mistime are. it a little bit, not yeah. even malice. It's yeah. In once upon a time, well, it seems at least in once upon a time, back in our day, back in my day, Tom, <laughs> people were tackled all the time, and you know, you. you but I, I do think it, in its way that the sign that the game's changed quite a bit. Mm. Um, but anyway, so that that's a, a hypothesis there okay. that you know could be could be. Could have some merit. Then you could look at another hypothesis and say, if we look at, we're now looking at a chart, a similar chart of team of the teams ordered in, but this time they're not ordered in um, attack tackles, opponents tackles against them in their attacking third. They're ordered in opponents tackles against them or rather opponents blocking passes against them. Okay. Blocks of the team's passes made by the team's opponent. And I've ordered them so the ones that come top are the ones that have have had their passes blocked by the opponents more often. And again, Blackburn and Plymouth are at the top, followed not very far behind by Birmingham and Watford. They're all solidly in the top sort of eight again. Yeah. And the teams that have overperformed are further down this little league table. Mm-hmm. So again, you tend to think, well, it probably isn't coincidence because you know you'd expect to see a bit more of a variation. Not necessarily; it's not guaranteed, but it's it's enough to make you think, well, there might be something in it. I think so it's this- certainly, if if there's a block or an interception or a tackle, you know, any change in in possession if if you're going to attack effectively you have to commit don't you you have yeah. to you can't sort of go oh, well I'm going to go into this area but I won't quite go into the box because if we lose it here of because if the ball goes in the box you don't get the, the opportunity at all yeah. um so you you've got to commit and, and then if you've committed and then there's an interception a block or a tackle that's when you are vulnerable aren't you well um, i've said here and i don't know what you'd think of this that what we're looking at here suggests that the underperforming teams having their passes blocked more regularly, well, that's straightforward. Again, despite a relatively high attacking output, quality seems to be letting these teams mm-hmm. down. 
the passing of, of the overperforming team seems to be more effective and enables them to squeeze more from relatively few mm. attacking phases. So it's yeah. just that their passing is a bit more accurate, a bit more considered sure. generally, you know, again, you're going to get, you can, you could say, hang on, why are Leicester so high up? But again, the number of passes that they're making probably feeds yeah. into that. Yeah, you know, absolutely. the more passes you make, the more are going to be blocked. Yes. If you're not making many passes, you're not going to have that many blocked. No, but, exactly. But I think just focusing on these teams that where they because what, what we're trying to say is look, how come when when we've managed to establish that attacking is the best way out of the division, how come four teams who've attacked quite um you know quite successfully mm-hmm. still struggling? Yeah. Well, there must be a reason for that. It must be the yeah. way they're doing it, mustn't it? Mm-hmm. What sure. they're doing. Because I I think it's more of a holistic game than to just say, well, the attackers are doing well, but the defenders are rubbish. It could be some it could be related to that. But mm-hmm. I think it's more a case of the way we've set up has, has helped us to be a, a an attacking, a strong attacking force. Mm-hmm. But it, at the same time, it's weakened our defence because mm. we're committing, you know, like we said earlier, maybe we're committing in a way that means that the defence is under more pressure than it would be if we weren't. Yeah. It means we can score more goals. West Brom, they don't score many goals. No. Well, they don't concede many either. And no, it's not. Right. And it's not an accident. It's not because mm. – it's because they're not committing so many players forward. Mm-hmm. But that makes them stronger when they lose the ball. That's right. Yeah. So they're not scored. What they're losing in one respect, it's not the only reason they're not scoring so many goals. I think one of the reasons is they're just not converting the chances. But it's a reason that that teams that don't score many sometimes don't concede many either. Because yeah. they're they're too they're more worried about staying in shape, being mm-hmm. difficult to break down. But you can't do both, can you? Well, no, unless that's you, right. Unless you're you know a top top team. Yeah. Just to go in and go, oh, well, we can see that what the problem is. The defence mm. isn't good enough. We'll shore that up. I yeah. mean, you can do it, but it usually, usually it's there's more to it, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, you you could even you could even say, you know, looking at this, saying right, we're getting we're getting tackled, we're getting passes blocked. Um, perhaps the issue is the defence is absolutely where it should be. Let's assume positioning-wise, they're all in the right spot. They're all doing all the right things, but they're just getting overwhelmed because perhaps the attacking players aren't quick enough in transition, getting back into into position. Yeah, uh, maybe that's a maybe that's an issue. Maybe that's a, a hangover from League One. They're just not used to getting back into position as fast as they would have to do for for, for League One. Perhaps. Yeah, or perhaps this is what happened in League One. Yeah, they, the opposition didn't have the quality to to take advantage of it. These are pointers, I think. When you mm. when you find these things, they're kind of pointers that you think we could explore this. Yeah. Because as you say, there could be more than one reason for it. It could be this, it could be that, it could be something else. But it's a it's an indicator that there's some you can explore. Let's ha- mm. let's see why we are top of the of the league for having passes blocked by the opposition. I think it gives, like like you said there, you want to be able to see. So from from this, you would then have, and we talked about this with scouting before, didn't we, of saying, well, now we know what we want to look at. 
you know, we want to look at, you know, why are we getting, first, why are we getting so many tackles against us in the attacking third? Why are we getting so many passes blocked? And then what happens as a result of those things? You know, do we get back into shape quick enough? You know, mm. are we are we a little bit too too slow uh, get getting back into shape? Yeah. You know, what's what's the reason? Did have we always done this? Yeah. It's just that now the opposition is better and they're taking advantage of it. Yeah. yeah but, but it's it gives, just, it's just... It gives you a yeah, it gives you something to focus on rather than just look at clips and and look at a game. Yeah. Specifically looking at one, two or three things, aren't you? Yeah, I think so. And usually if you and sometimes maybe by combining these things, you get to the the real crux mm. of what the problem is. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Um yeah. and that's where the data I think is is useful in combination with the football knowledge. Because mm-hmm. you know, you'd you'd want to be careful you're not trying to draw conclusions just from looking at data, because there can be things going on. You know, like we've sort of alluded to a few times, mm-hmm. there can be other things going on, but it's it's something that's going to flag up something that you might not have necessarily picked up on just by watching the games. Yeah. So anyway, that was really, that was our little sort of look at, you know, we're halfway, well, a bit more than halfway through the season. Mm. There's definitely some things going on that don't normally happen or, you know, are, are anomalies. They're things you wouldn't expect. When there always are a few, but for the most part, it's you know it's fairly reliable. If you were to to pick one of the teams there that seemed to be underperforming, so if you were to pick either Plymouth or Blackburn, um, which one of those two teams would you feel is going to move up the league and maybe go back towards the mean of their their attacking output? That's a good question. You're, t- you're kind of inclined to think Blackburn because mm. they've been around and they know what it takes in this division. Mm. But the other thing about Blackburn is, and we've touched upon this a few times, <laughs> they're so heavily dependent. I've put dependent. the fishing rod out there. I've put well, the fishing rod out there. <laughs> you have. They're so heavily dependent on our old friend, Mr. Yes. Smodix. Yes, and, Sammy Boy. And, you know, you could look at, you can look at their their sort of in their page that we've looked at a few times mm. and you look down at the squad and who's doing what. And if you took him out, you know what, there'd be a massive Pretty hole bare, there. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, okay, if he if if he wasn't available, that somebody else would have been playing and other things would have been different. Sure. So you don't really you can't just take him out, can you? But no. but you know, that would be my only reservation would be on their side. Would be that that they they are so heavily and and you know what they've been heavily dependent they were heavily dependent on Brereton and Diaz yes they were heavily yeah. dependent on I never remember the right one Adam Armstrong is it Stuart yes that's Adam right. Armstrong yeah yeah so they were hits and I mean really really dependent on these players mm. but they always seem to get one they always seem yeah. to have one mm-hmm. who's who's so you know so I don't know. Um, if he wasn't there, maybe someone else steps up. But yeah, so I don't know. I would, what do you think? Um, I would. I'd be like you. I would. I'd be inclined to go with with Blackburn, but I think that would be purely on history rather than yeah. this season. I'd I'd love it to be Plymouth 
not because I don't like Blackburn, but purely because I like an underdog story. And yeah. So I do enjoy watching them play, certainly when they play at home. Yeah, <laughs> me sure. too. Yeah, so, I've got um, a soft spot for them. I, I would like to see them do well. Yeah, and I, I suppose with, with them, it could be a question of whether they can keep hold of their best players through this window as well. Because I would imagine there's a few teams looking at Azaz and, and Witten yeah. Yeah. because of the way they performed. Well, Azaz is on loan, isn't he, from Villa? So Yeah, yeah. Um, he's not going to be, possibly not going to be a long-term mm-hmm. solution for him. But yeah, Whitaker's done really well. Yeah. It would be, you'd imagine. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a good, good question, though. I wonder. I wonder if one of them will sort of move towards the expectation a bit more. Mm. Yeah, sort of revert back up the table. Yeah, but I, th- I think either either way, I can't see either of them dropping further down the league. Can you? Mm. I wouldn't there. have them. I wouldn't have them down as my. No, I wouldn't have them as expected to go down. I mean, but... if, if we looked, if we quickly just looked back over the, has a team ever had top half attacking output and still got relegated? Uh, well, I say ever. We're looking back at five years, so I'm not looking back yeah. at ever in the history of it. But well, it's unlikely, isn't it? Yeah. It's as unlikely as a team finishing in the top three having bottom half attacking output, isn't it? Yeah, really. Twenty so the these this year, mm-hmm. the first of their five of previous years, twenty eighteen, nineteen, mm-hmm. Bolton, Ipswich and Rotherham went down. And they were more or less in line with their yeah. with their score with their scores, weren't they? And then you got um, the next year, well, Hull, Wigan, and Charlton. I mean, Hull, Hull, Hull ended up bottom in 2019 20, mm-hmm. but they were only 17th in game changer score. Yeah. So they, they were sort of seven points, seven places below. They ended up seven places below where their mm-hmm. attacking output suggested. Yeah. So then oh in 2021, Rotherham, Rotherham, Went down second to bottom, and they were their game changer score. Adam seventeenth, mm-hmm. so you know that was sort of somewhat unusual. Then twenty one, twenty two, they were all where they would have expected to be, line, pretty much. And then twenty two, twenty well last year, the highest was Blackpool, yeah, attacking that went down, but they mm-hmm. were they only ended up twentieth. So yeah, and this year really, it's, it's, actually it's exactly where you'd expect at the moment. So um, you'd think if if both Blackburn and Plymouth stayed as sixth or seventh, or or maybe even eighth or ninth or tenth from attacking output, you wouldn't think they're in too much danger of going down. From a you wouldn't think so, view, would you? No, you wouldn't. If if Plymouth can carry on at home mm-hmm. with their with their form, yeah. That's going to be the thing that saves them from the drop, I think. Because we we talked about early in the podcast, didn't we, about the importance of of wins and the importance yeah. of home wins. Yeah, uh, especially being you know very key to a team's success of of getting out the league. But of course, it's going to be important for teams to stay in the league as well, isn't it? Because we're look we're looking at that relative success, aren't we? And if yeah, if Plymouth were to finish 
18th at the end of the season, then you'd have to see that as a successful season because they were expected to be 23rd, wouldn't you? So Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, it, it, absolutely. If you can win some games, it's... Mm-hmm. And if you're a... Well, you're right. If I think what we said was... Um, we tried to... I'm trying to recapture our thinking, but I think mm. what we said was, look, the reason why we're full square behind attacking is if you attack, then you ch- you've got a chance of scoring. Mm-hmm. And if you can score, you've got a chance of winning. Yeah. And if you can win, mm-hmm. you're going to be, you've got a chance of either, you know, being successful or at least keeping out of that bottom three. Because yeah. the teams that, it's all very well starting from the other and I know some people will, will say, no, sorry, well, I'm completely the opposite. Mm-hmm. It's it's keep a clean sheet. That's the most thing, important thing for me. And I'll work mm-hmm. from there. Because if I keep a clean sheet, the argument goes, you can't lose. Sure. And, you know, so if you can't lose, but I don't think that's enough. No. Because if you draw every game, mm-hmm. you know, it's perilous. Yeah. You're going to go, you're going to go down, aren't you? If you, yeah. I mean, you might stay up if you draw every one. But sure. it's gonna Not be a much. it's gonna be a blooming <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a rocky old ride. <laughs> and you've only got to lose a few mm. and you aren't gonna score everyone. So mm. if you, we we I think we both feel, don't we, look, you know, the value of a good attacking force is is greater than the value of a good defense. And I know you wanna you wanna have both and you you know, you you can't if you've got a poor defense, you're not gonna do well. Mm. So we know we, that we could say if, if and if our theory is, if our theory was proved to be correct, if Plymouth became better at attacking, and they weren't getting so many passes blocked, and they weren't getting tackled quite so often, if they were mo- maybe moving the ball that little bit quicker, uh, and and avoiding contact, then perhaps they wouldn't concede so many, and they'd score more goals. So yeah, it's yeah, of, <laughs> that's right. You can, yeah, you can look at it. To different ways, can't you? Yeah, you can. You can. But for that's me, the, it, that's the thing about the fluid game, isn't it? Really, yeah. is is that everything depends on everything else. Mm-hmm. This is the thing you can't in these dis- discrete event games. You can fix something. You can take it and on one side and fix it. Yeah. You can go right. Well, look, we need a spinner. If you're a cricket team, mm-hmm. you can go. We we need to do that, and then it's. It's hard to explain, but it yeah. doesn't affect anything else, really. No, that's, that's but, right. But in this game, you can say, well, let's put another player in, a, in an attacking role, mm-hmm. but that's going to immediately make you a bit more vulnerable when you're out of possession. That's it, yeah. More and if you want to, to shore there. it up a lot at the back, you're saying, well, we want to play with five at the back, but then that's going to take somebody out of a potential attacking role. That's right, yeah. Um no, yeah. it's, it's interesting. It is interesting. I guess that's why we enjoy the game, isn't it, really? Because you, you alluded to at the beginning, saying everyone's looking to sort of gain an edge and, and what have you from a tactical point of view. And um, I guess things things tend to go in cycles, don't they? And you, you find that certain... Uh, now we're getting the inverted fullbacks, aren't we? A very possession-based game. And you wonder whether at some point you're going to have teams uh, almost like a track team who are going to be 
almost like a Plymouth, I suppose, sit very deep, sit very deep, pull people on, and mm. then just spring exceptionally quickly. Mm. Uh, be very, very sort of power-based uh, team in, in that respect. Yeah. Um, well, we're going that way, aren't we? Yeah. And, you and know, you've, I remember watching a Champions League final, which was Bayern Munich against Dortmund many years ago. I think it was Klopp's. Klopp was Klopp was at Dortmund then, and um, Dortmund were probably one of the first teams that I remember watching who pressed ferociously, uh, absolutely ferociously, mm. and um, and I, I think they that had some good results against Bayern during the season, but in the Champions League final. Bayern played Mandzukic up front and then they had Robin and uh, Ribéry as the mm. two wide midfielders. And it seemed, well, quite often whenever Bayern got the ball, as soon as Borussia Dortmund came in with the press, they just launched it to Mandzukic, who's like six foot seven, you know, mm. big, big centre forward. And Ribéry and Robin just beelined towards him you know, just yeah. to look for those little layoffs or second balls, anything like that. <clears throat> and I certainly remember one of Bayern's goals, because I think they won 2-1. One of their goals was was almost like a two-pass goal where Mandzukic got the ball, laid it off to Robin, and he, he scored or Ribery scored. I don't I don't remember. Mm. But um, but you wonder whether there will be a return of that, of teams that have the ball very, very little, but just look to spring exceptionally fast. Yeah, I, th- I think as one innovation comes along somebody has a brainwave you know well, let's mm-hmm. let's do this that hasn't been done before yeah and then but then inevitably there's going to have to be a, a counter to it mm-hmm. and that counter might well lead to something we've seen that's gone out of fashion yeah just because if that if the if the if the process that's being used to attack you has changed then a defense that wasn't wasn't it wasn't successful might suddenly become successful because everything's changed. Yeah. That's the that's beauty. Right. Like you say, it's the beauty of a fluid game is that everything affects everything else, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So I think that's know. the thing that annoys me when people say you'll, you'll have a team that had like 75% possession and they lost and you'll yeah. get the manager or coach come on or you'll hear fan. Ah, oh, that was anti-football. That's this. It's like, there's no such thing. There's no. no such thing as anti-football. There's just, you have to deal with what's in front of you. Of course. And if you know that you're going to play against, a, I don't know, like a Manchester City or or something, who are going to have the ball and they're fantastic ball players. And if you go and charge around with them, with your squad of players, you're going to get picked off and, and end up losing yeah. eight or nine. Yeah. But you know that you've got, you know, maybe one, two or three very quick players who can, who can counter-attack very quickly uh, and very effectively. Then you just sit in in like a like a shell and then try and go from there. That's that's the best way of you doing it, isn't it? Of course, of course it is, and and it, it's the variety that makes it interesting because that's what makes yeah. it unpredictable. Yeah. And if it wasn't unpredictable, you know, we I keep on we keep talking about things like this. You know, it's the drama. The reason people watch football is not for the technical skill, really. It's mm. the drama. Yeah. That's why some people watch national league games as opposed to Champions League games. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you'd say, well, why would anybody watch League Two when you can watch Premier League? Well, because yeah. they're watching it for the drama because they, they want to be entertained. And the, for them, it's more dramatic seeing their team who they've supported since you know they were a child and their dad mm-hmm. and their granddad support. There's more drama in that than there is in Chelsea versus Arsenal. 
that yeah. they've got no association with, that's even it. though technically that's a better game. So it's all about the drama, and the drama comes from the unpredictability. Yeah. If it was predictable, there wouldn't be any blooming drama, would there? No. That's it. You'd just wait. You'd know the results before they uh, kicked off the game, wouldn't you? And so, and and the unpredictability comes from the fluidity and all the different things that affect. So, yeah. I mean, you know, long may that continue. Yeah. For for definite. For definite. Okay, mate. Well. Good. I don't know whether we've got anywhere, but, you know, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, I I think so. I think it's good to see those teams that you feel are maybe overperforming and underperforming. Yeah. Some of the clues is behind behind why they might be uh, doing those those things and perhaps what uh, we should look out for teams trying to improve uh, through the January window or maybe during uh, their uh, change of managers like with Plymouth. You know, it'd be interesting to see if their playing style changes at all. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, that's uh, it's been another good one in the books, mate. Good to good. see you in the new year. Yeah, we'll, we'll it's with... been good fun. Yeah, no, it has, it has been good. We'll try to um, – there hasn't been very much in terms for what I can really see, in terms of transfer, mm-hmm. substantial transfer, um, you know, stuff to follow. So um, if – when there is, then we'll try and be on it, won't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think second half of the window, it generally picks up, doesn't it? Yeah. Teams are being reactive rather than proactive, David. That's yeah, the trouble. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> well, it's always the way. Yeah, we'll for sure. Kick, it will kick in about the 29th of Jan, won't it? <laughs> yeah, that's we'll right. start yeah. getting their act together. <laughs> we won't sleep for two days. <laughs> no. <laughs> nice one. Well, right I'm pleased to say, David, next week we'll be in our 20s. Yeah. <laughs> As we start episode 20. But for today, that's us signing off for episode 19 of Attacking the Championship. We'll see you next week. See you then. Bye-bye.